What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, welcome back. The Wildcats needed the game. And I think you could say that a 75-41 to 41 revenge win over Creighton at the Finn was the game for this season. I got to say, I am still not feeling very well, as you can probably tell by my voice. Uh, so hang with me here, Nova Nation, today. But uh, that game made me feel a lot better uh, because, wow, yeah. did just the, the bounce back from what we saw just a couple of weeks ago to completely flip the script and completely dominate a, a pretty good Creighton team at home. What a, what a huge win. Yeah, well, I'm so glad you're back. It was brutal <laughs> doing you. that solo episode. You did fantastic. Without you. May I say that was very Thank impressive. You. 40 Thank minutes you. solo is not easy. <laughs> there was obviously a lot to talk about after our break, but yeah, we're all so happy that you're back. Glad you're feeling well enough to record this one. As Pat mentioned, we're going to try and make this short and sweet because he's still not feeling a hundred percent. So this is kind of a good one for to have that. We're going to recap the Creighton game. It was a what? 35 point win. So 34 points. Not going to get too nitty gritty. We'll do a little bit on DePaul on Saturday, and then we'll wrap things up with some questions and we'll get back to it in a full tilt next week. But you said you felt better watching this game, Pat. I feel the exact same way. This was the happiest I've been watching Villanova in a while. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, it's funny. We usually separate these into positives and negatives. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I have a negative to talk about today. And you no. know what? After all the things that have been said about Villanova basketball, especially, you know, the, the Baylor and Creighton game back to back and and where everyone was, including us, to then string together now three straight really quality Big East wins and come out, like I said, with that type of performance, you have to be feeling really, really good about where this team is right now. We've seen some differences and A, this team's game plan, and B, the personnel, which we can get into in a little bit. It's mm. all really promising things as we hit the stride of Big East play. Hit the stride of Big East play and hit the stride of January, where notably Villanova has always been good in the month of January, and especially this year. They have a ton of home games. They have a ton mm. of games against the lower tier of the Big East, and we've said over and over again that this is a really, really strong Big East conference this year but definitely the lower basement of this conference and they are hitting momentum at the right time. And I think they're going to go on an absolute tear this month. Yeah, they certainly might. They have an opportunity. You know, we we know we've got to Paul up Butler coming in too, and and Georgetown a little later, that's a road game uh, this month. So certainly Mm -hmm. an opportunity for Villanova to continue to hit their stride. And we've also gone way too far into this podcast already without congratulating Jay Wright on his 500th Villanova win. 500th win. I wonder if he liked that it was just a complete dominant 40 minutes or if he wanted a close game. I, you know what? I think he's pretty happy with how things turned out. With this one, he just, I wish he could just smile. Just even on that 500th win, you know? Just a little bit, right? Just a little smile. But yeah, this this had to be one of the more comfortable wins of his career. <laughs> yeah, this was a good, especially against a team that, as we said, I, you don't want to call Creighton one of the best teams in the country because that's not true, but they are a very solid squad. Yeah, they are. They are a solid squad in the Big East that's going to rack up a lot of wins. And I think Jay Wright was very careful to not call this a revenge game, mm-hmm. but you have to imagine that every single player on Nova's roster wanted this one a little more than just any other home game at the Finn, and they showed it. And I truly think 
the way they brought the intensity on both sides of the court at the beginning of the game, they forced Creighton into this hole that they quite literally could not get out of. Creighton made too many mistakes early to ever give themselves a chance in this game. It was over from the beginning. Yeah, I, I think you're right in that, of course, they're not going to acknowledge that it was a revenge game, but I certainly mm-hmm. think it was in their thoughts. And you saw how focused they came out there. I mean, it was three turnovers in each half to finish with six for Villanova uh, as a team. And for me, it was the best defensive performance that we've seen so far this season. I know you may think of by far as where to go to, yeah. but I think a big part of that was that the volunteers couldn't hit the broadside of a barn in that game, as well as Villanova <laughs> did play on defense. Uh, this was a much different story where, where Nova was, <laughs> there are so many aspects actually of what Nova did on defense. We could probably spend most of the podcast talking about that. Oh yeah. I, I mean, the broadside of a barn too. What an incredible analogy there. Love that. It, it, you know, it, it it's true. <laughs> it was true. No, I, they, they came out with that press. I have always been so mm. attentive because I think Brian Antoine adds such an extra dimension to that press, but they started it without him. And then they brought him in and they brought Longino in and they add such athletic pieces to this defense. They had excellent help D. I was oh, yes. screaming. I was absolutely screaming watching that because of how well Gillespie especially helped on some of these drives. Again, I'll say it again. They needed one of these wins. They had a good win over Xavier that was relatively Mm -hmm. low stress. But this one, start to finish, a lot of people are talking about it on Twitter, and I I think I agree with it. Villanova played like a top-10 team. Yes, yes. This is a performance that you really write home about. And what I think about defensively in this game, too, we saw three different sets of defense from Nova. We saw their normal man. We saw the press, which actually came out a lot in this game, which I like to see because I like the aggression. And we saw a little bit of zone as well. Not not too much. It's actually less than even than we saw against Seton Hall. But Jay is showing that he will go to a 2-3 at times just to switch things up, which I don't think that's a bad thing to see this team kind of continue to adjust and throw some different looks out there. But I loved everything I saw defensively. I believe they forced 16 turnovers against Creighton. Mm. What they also did is they made Creighton pay for those turnovers a lot more. I know they had 10 first half uh, points off of turnovers. I did not see what the final number ended up being, but they continued to kind of get after it a little bit more, which I think is really impressive. Uh, You know, (laughs) you, you bring up Antoine and Longino. We can talk about them more. Um, I, I thought about this, you know, as, as I'm going through it, Danny Rojas in the show, Ted Lasso says football is life. Brian Antoine <laughs> and Jordan Longino on defense are life right now for, for what wow. we saw from them. Just, I am so impressed, you know, Antoine kind of the Seton Hall game. I didn't, obviously didn't get to talk about it, but he carried that over into this game as well. I think Longino, you were seeing that athleticism. He's got a knack for being able to steal the ball. His feet move really quickly. He'll pick up the foul here or there, which is something he's got to still get out of his game, but he's a freshman still learning. I love the different aspect that those two are bringing right now. And I think that really helped the defense tonight. I had no idea where you were going with that Danny Rojas. Honestly, neither did I, because uh, I still have like that was, brain, wow. but I, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, Brian Antoine was bodying up the seven foot tall Ryan Cuthbert. Used his body. That so is much. how good on defense Brian Antoine was. And he is so skinny. He's so scrawny. <laughs> he's so lengthy. And the things he's able to do, he intimidates these opposing players. He did so well on defense. I completely agree with you on both points. 
these are the type of games where this minute should go up. And there's actually an, an interesting question about depth in general and Antoine's minutes specifically that we can save for the end. But Antoine is a game changer for Villanova. Having him come off the bench in the six or seven spot makes Villanova objectively a contender and they might not have been before. And I mean, I mean, deep, deep, deep in March. Mm -hmm. No, he brings just something different, which I think is, is so nice to see 26 minutes tonight is legit playing time, uh, which is awesome. And, you know, that kind of leads into as well. Colin Gillespie had foul trouble for the second straight game. I'm not sure we've ever been able to say that in his career, but yeah, remember when I just soliloquized about Colin Gillespie never being in foul trouble and then he had two straight games? Thanks, hey, Colin. Maybe hey, yeah, I good. was like, you weren't wrong. It, it, it's something <laughs> we, we haven't really seen. And, you know, we saw it again today where he he barely, I think he played, what, eight minutes in the first half, something like first that. First half, yeah. Um, so he, it was, while that could be looked at as, say, a negative, I really look at it as more of an opportunity for this team to go out there and show that they were still able to get it done without their leader on the floor. And they, absolutely did in that what they went into halftime with a was it a 12 point lead 14 point lead something around there 14 yeah yeah and and then finished with obviously such a a blowout game where Gillespie didn't really even get on the score sheet until the game was completely over uh, at that point so I think you take some huge positives up there um, from from Gillespie even with the foul trouble oh I felt the same exact way and and he did a a Good job facilitating as well. Mm-hmm. Five assists, that which was a team leading, which he always does. But man, I I saw it as an opportunity too. And just quickly, I want to say this about the defense before we move on completely. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Hawkins, Pat had zero points. Ryan Nemhard had six. Hawkins absolutely torched Villanova in that first game of the season at home. Absolutely, absolutely torture. We were talking about him being one of the best scorers in the Big East Conference, mm. and they completely shut him down today. And that is exactly, exactly what needed to happen. They made Ryan Nemhard so scared and nervous with the ball, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't keep it under control. And that's having tape. That's having the good coach of the of Jay Wright. Everything came together, and this was the exact game that they needed to put that other Creighton game behind. They relied on the leadership of Jermaine Samuels and Brandon Slater. And then they allowed guys to really get into their roles. And I honestly think Antoine and even Trey Patterson should have played more, but seeing Antoine log 26 minutes has to get every single Villanova fan so hyped right now. The trio of Hawkins, Cockrunner, and Nemhard scored 41 the first time Villanova played against Creighton, which is also the amount of points that Creighton scored as a team tonight. Uh, that trio tonight, as we record this, scored 10. So <laughs> I got a whole segment on Kalkbrenner. I got yeah. a whole thing to say about him. Yeah, it, it was an interesting game. With I mean, it didn't seem like he was at full health. I know they were mentioning a lot with the ankle and such, and they just he yeah. never really got into the game. Uh, it was more about the Alex O'Connell show is what it felt like. I do want to say Ryan Hawkins is a damn good basketball player, even without oh, the, yeah. with the oh, zero yeah. points. You know, the impact that he made, some of the passes that he makes, the movement, that's just a winning player. What they say, he's won 169 out of 181 games he's played in college, <laughs> which is just absolutely unbelievable. 
but zero points for a guy that was averaging over 14 points a game. Again, it just, it goes to how good the defensive performance was as a team as well. I mean, Slater did what he always does on defense. You know, I thought Jermaine Samuels was really good on defense and Justin Moore, of course, we're going to talk about the offense, but that man has put it into another level on defense lately. Goes back to the Seton Hall game. He had that huge clutch block down the stretch to help solidify things. I thought he was excellent again tonight that I have nothing bad to say about the defensive performance. It was so strong. It was so clean. Oh, I feel the exact same way. And we've talked so much about, can they get back and set their defense? Are they better in transition? Mm -hmm. Can they, can they um, keep up, I guess is the right word against high tempo teams. And I don't think you could say that Creighton is an especially high tempo team, especially watching the DePaul St. John's game before this one, (laughs) but they have become extremely competent in both of those sets. They can Mm -hmm. set, they can play man to man. They can play that press and they can lock down a transition offense that has some really explosive scores like Creighton does. Cause I do believe that Creighton has a good offense. They just didn't look like it on Wednesday night because Nova's defense was so good. I expect a large jump in the Ken Palm rankings, honestly. Mm. Yeah. Love that you brought up being set as well. Cause I thought that first matchup with the blue Jays was the biggest and most egregious example of Villanova's defense never being set and Creighton just running it was circles. Around. Yeah. It was horrible. They could never yeah. get set and into their defense. That was not an issue on any possession really uh, from, from tonight, which is just, again, a, another yeah. point into the massive turnaround. Yeah. And, Game plans in general, I have a lot of thought about how Creighton came into this game and Kalkbrenner and also just Jay Wright's game plan and how Nova's players stepped into this. They looked like they were stuck in sand when trying to guard the three-point line against Creighton in Omaha. Mm -hmm. Ryan Hawkins was scoreless from three. We talked about how many bad shots Ryan Nemhard put up. Kaluma couldn't score. Alex O'Connell was the other was the only guy that could put the ball through the basket. Yeah. And they had so many different options the first time. So it was just such a good game plan from the beginning. I mentioned in the preview, Kalkbrenner could have scored, honest to God, 25 points. And if they played the same way that they did against the rest of the guards, I still think it would have been a blowout because this is what they needed to do from the beginning. Creighton is not an especially good shooting team from the beyond mm-hmm. the arc. They just happened to have an insane night yes. a couple of weeks ago. This time they didn't, and look what happened. They're not nearly as good on offense as they were the first time we saw them. So it was just – it was a perfectly executed game plan from Villanova's side. No, you, you nailed it, so I'm not going to echo it there because you're so right in that this Creighton team is not a great shooting team. They just – they burned Nova in that first matchup, yeah. three, three for 24 from beyond the arc uh, this yeah, time. Insane. It, yeah, insane. Yeah. Should we talk about Mena? Yeah, let's do it. I think Jermaine earned himself some minutes on this podcast because we have been harsh about him, and I'm sure everybody in Nova Nation has been harsh on him, and he has definitely deserved that at times mm-hmm. because his shot was non-existent. He's, he's not reliant on that shot anymore. That's the biggest thing that sticks out to me. He is physical down low. Holy crap, how good was he on defense, just as a side note. But honestly, what stuck out to me more was how how much better he looked on offense. He's able to drive. He's not relying on that jump shot. He's not taking the most field goal attempts on the team. I'm pulling it up now. Yep. He only had 11 shots. He only took one three. That is exactly what needs to be happening because he is so 
I, I was going to say competent, but that's not even the right word. He is more than elite when he drives to the basket, and especially with the lack of minutes that Kalkbrenner played, he exploited a mismatch against a lot of those Creighton defenders. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up Samuels here because to me this felt like a Jermaine Samuels realization game and realization mm. meaning self-realization for him yeah. because I've been hard on Samuels. I actually would have been harder on him than you were for the Seton Hall game where I, I didn't think it was enough and that they needed more from him there. Mm. This game, I mean, it started off with the airballed three as his first shot. And it's like, here, <laughs> here we go again. And he didn't attempt yeah. another three. And to your point, I, I listen, if I'm going to crush him, I'll also give him his plot. It's where I thought he was really good today. You know, as you're talking about the drive is the best part of his game. You know, we're seeing it. He tried to dunk multiple times, which I think is great because use that athleticism, try to finish strong through the rim. What I thought he did an excellent job with, he finished with seven rebounds, but what it seemed like he was doing every single time was boxing out and taking a Creighton uh, defender out of the play uh, to, to oh, be yeah. able to let a teammate get a rebound or, or try to find another way there, which I think obviously goes beyond the box score. This was a big game for Jermaine. It, it was really important. I know he finished with 18, which is a very healthy offensive output for him this season. But I feel like the little things all really came together today as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And that was almost his season high. I don't think we can expect even more than 15 a game from Jermaine. Maybe even more than 12 a game mm-hmm. from Jermaine. But you are so right about that boxing out. And he looked gassed by the end because yes. that is hard work to do that against these really physical opponents down low. And it just, it, it didn't seem at all like he felt any sort of size disadvantage in this game. And I was so excited about that. Six to seven from the line too. Very important. Yeah. Really, really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Where should we go next? I mean, I, I guess we have to talk about Justin Moore, right? I mean, the man did score. <laughs> yeah, too. let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. The killer's back. The killer is back. And he has, he is just, he is here for the long run. He is here for the long run. I, I, I honestly, it must be the hair with the new dye. Uh, absolutely yeah, love it, by the way, be. Justin. Uh, I know it's been a little polarizing. I've seen some people don't like it. I'm all for it. So you rock it. Um, but no, Justin was obviously very good today, especially, you know, it, it's been a talking point for us this season about Villanova looking for that option when Colin Gillespie isn't the guy. And today he just wasn't able to be because he had the foul trouble. He was scoreless for a long time. And Justin Moore stepped up. Was it the most efficient performance we've ever seen? No, he was eight of 20, but that's not a horrible shooting output by any means. He put up 22, as I said, on defense. I thought he was really good. Sometimes this team can just need someone to take a game by the scruff of the neck and say, this is mine because mm. how this Villanova team plays, it's such a team first. It's all about the ball movement and, and, you know, making that extra pass. Sometimes they do it a little too much and forget that they need someone to, to be able to take over and, and propel them. Justin Moore was able to do that for a good portion of this game. Yeah. It's so funny. You said that because uh, Bill Raftery on the call at one point when Colin had zero points, Bill's reaction was like, Oh yeah. Villanova's team first. And I get that point, but this game specifically was the Justin Moore and Jermaine Samuels game. I I think you're totally right where they sometimes even things out too much. They need the guy, but to see that type of offensive explosion from both of those guys, yes, they're a team first team, but in the last two games, Justin Moore has taken it upon himself to lead. And we didn't see that for a lot of games in a Mm -hmm. row there. And now in the thick of the season, when they're realizing that Villanova is going to have to get itself 
back in that top tier of teams. They're only ranked 19th in the country right now. <laughs> I know we're very spoiled saying that, yes. but still. They need that guy, especially when Gillespie's on that court. And I have full confidence in him now. Going into that Seton Hall game, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't think we had seen enough to say, okay, I have no issues when Gillespie's on the on the bench because Moore can be the guy in the last two games he's shown that he can be. Yeah, and listen, you talked about it on, on Tuesday's episode where he came in saying he wanted to be a leader this season. And I, I thought this yeah. game was another example of him being a leader and stepping up when they need him. Same thing with Slater. You know, Slater was struggling a little bit offensively, uh, kind of coming into the new year, was great against Seton Hall with 17 and then put up double digits again today. Though it was a little odd. I don't believe he attempted a field goal in the second half, which is strange. Yeah. Um, it was a sneaky 10 again. It was a sneaky 10, exactly, which is what Slate loves to do. But of course, he carried it through with defense. So I think you are seeing guys that struggled a little bit kind of when Villanova hit that swoon uh, start to come back into and play the game that we saw earlier in the season from, from Justin and Brandon. I have a question for you, Pat. Mm-hmm. Do you think everybody panicked too early? Ooh, it's a good question. It's a fair question. I think, I, I think the questions were warranted um, based yeah. on, you know, the big five play. Yes, they won those games, but it wasn't always the cleanest way of winning those games. Mm-hmm. The Syracuse game certainly wasn't clean. Uh, and then of course had the Baylor and Creighton game. So I think it was okay for people to ask the questions. I still don't agree with the people that freaked out about losses to UCLA and Purdue. I just don't think that's fair. Yeah. Um, but if you wanted to ask questions about some of the things that popped up with this team in terms of depth shooting, things of that nature, I, I understood that. I feel the exact same way. Depth, reliance on the three specific performances. That's that Samuels drought, that Slater drought. But they needed to be home. They needed to let I – mean, honestly, this team is blossoming without Colin Gillespie taking all of the shine. And I think that's a good thing. And I'm not sure he thing. is totally fine with that and letting other guys get the minutes because we're not talking about Jordan Longino if Colin doesn't have all those fouls. Do mm, you want to talk about Jordan Longino? I do want to talk about Jordan Longino. Because <laughs> I do. <laughs> something about something about more that I think is really, really impressive too is that he has at least one number in almost every single stat on the box sheet. It might not be more than two rebounds. It might not be more than two assists. But he has his hands in almost everything. And Longino is another one of those type of players. Ooh, He's not going to wow you. He's not going to wow you with the shots he takes. He's not going to drive very often. I don't know. I, I can't even remember him attempting a shot really this whole season, but he rebounds. Well, he's quick on defense. He forces errors and his steals are always his big thing. He had that or, or no, Chris Arch had that block today. Not yes, Longino, he did. But I feel like Longino just has the ability to do so many different things. And as he continues to get more run under him, we're going to see that confidence grow. And I really don't mean that as a wishy-washy thing. The Villanova system is an incredibly hard thing to adapt to. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he's playing this well with so few minutes and so there's no predictability in the type of games that he's going to come into. He is slowly but surely carving a space for him and for himself in this rotation and it's amazing to watch. The, those 20 minutes today got me very, very excited, as you can probably yeah. imagine. Um, and to your point about the rotation, he is earning a spot in the rotation. 
100 percent with the play that he's putting out there no we have not seen him really you know contribute on the offensive end especially uh when they have the ball out there it's more of him swinging it around the perimeter with the ball movement and keeping things moving uh rather than than any sort of uh you know shot generation or or, or anything of that nature so far but defensively you know that's the big thing we talk about with jay wright and trust and these freshmen he has shown the prowess on defense to get those minutes with, as I was talking about before, you know, the quickness, the ability to find a steal to, it was, there was a sequence that he played against Nemhard, Ryan Nemhard, one of the quickest guards in all of the big East was trying to go to that step back and with the crossovers and everything. And Longino stayed with him the entire way and forced the miss there at the end. Again, not something that you really see in the box score, but it just, it shows how impressive we've seen from him. And I want to continue to see his role grow. Now, I think it'll be interesting to see what type of minutes he claws out when Caleb comes back, because of course Mm. that does factor into this. But I also think we're seeing enough from Jordan that he does deserve to go out there every night. I feel the exact same way. Yeah. I do think the rotation looks a little bit different when Daniels comes back and maybe we see that same six to eight minutes from Cosby Roundtree, which changes things up a little bit. They obviously are, are much different roles on the court. But the, th- the thing that really I was just shook by, I have never been happier about the Villanova bench than I have been in the last two games. And Caleb Daniels didn't play in either game. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, how about that depth? Which wow. is quoting Chris from the full 40. <laughs> how about that depth all of a sudden? You've got me thinking about that and it's, it's so interesting because they don't have the scoring punch right now. Antoine's still trying yeah. to find his feet. Um, you know, that, you know, Chris isn't going to give you much there and Longino really isn't taking field goal attempts. Caleb of course has the ability to score 10 plus points in a game, but to your point of just depth and being able to throw guys out there and, and some quality out there, I think you're probably right that this is the best you got to feel about that bench. Plus knowing that Caleb Daniels is going to come back, you know, potentially this weekend against Paul. Totally healthy. Yeah. His sit on Wednesday night against Creighton was a precautionary sit. Yeah. Just to sense. make sure because, because they knew that he had complications last time. And that was why he had such a drop off in productivity in the second half of the season last year. And I'm totally fine with that. I feel the exact same way. I, is it crazy for me to think that the not having a ton of offensive output from the bench right now, isn't the worst thing in the world with more shooting the way he's shooting mm. with Slater and Samuels back to beginning of the season form with Gillespie playing at player of the week level. Things are high right now. This was, this was a really, really good week. When other players step up their game, it makes it easier when there's not as much yes. coming off the bench. And I think that's... You what know what's doing. shocking, Pat? Hmm? You know what's shocking? What's that? Winning makes things look a lot better. No, and I don't... What? When they win, it's much easier to not find things to nitpick that's preposterous how how could you say such a thing (laughs) (laughs) no so speaking of oh go ahead i would say to to your point just of winning this has been a a stat i was looking at uh just offensively this is their third best offensive outing if you rate it by points per possession of the season you know and it's honestly surprised me at all no and it's honestly the best one if you look at the competition because the only games where it was higher was howard and mount saint mary and this is the best points per possession game they've had since St. Joseph's in early December. Yeah, this was the stagnant offense panic game the first time we played Creighton. Mm-hmm. And the offense looked anything but stagnant this time around. There was no movement on offense or defense the first time that Villanova <laughs> yeah. played Creighton. It was a little different this time. 
Well said. Well said. But but going back to game plans, I do just want to mention I was just dumbfounded why Creighton didn't exploit Kalkbrenner earlier in this game. And maybe he was dealing with injuries the entire time. I, I really don't know much about that, but that's how they won the first game. And instead, like we talked about, Villanova forced Creighton to make shots and they couldn't make them. And when you eliminate the really only option, the only scoring option for Creighton in this game, which was Kalkbrenner at the beginning and makes it really hard to score points. And that's why they scored 41. I think McDermott's a really good coach. I just don't understand why that didn't happen. I, I, we gave our props to Antoine and to Slater and to Dixon played really well defensively and Samuels played really well defensively. I, I said it on the, on Tuesday. Cockburner is objectively be- bigger. He's objectively better in the paint and nothing came of it. Yeah, I, I say it has to be the injury because yeah. he, he only, you would think at yeah, this point he only played 20 minutes tonight he played 44 over the weekend and i believe i know i just had it up 31 against villanova uh the last time they played so i i i know this was a blowout so of course that could factor in as well but i i have to believe that that ankle injury was a big part of why because otherwise it yeah. doesn't make sense that's where you attack villanova it doesn't we make all sense know that all. that's where they completely exploited them in the paint last time yeah. But that being said, they also, they followed that game plan. Well, of Crane is not the best shooting team in the big East and they might win the paint battle. That's fine. As long as they win the guard wing defense battle. And they did mm-hmm. in this game. Yeah. All right. I think I have one more point. Do you have anything else? No, that's it for me. It's a little negative. So I wish maybe we didn't end on this, but I'll just pose it to you straight up. Do you think, or, or no, I'm actually going to phrase it like this. Why doesn't Jay play more of the freshman earlier? <laughs> oh, isn't that a question? Um, yes. I, I guess that kind of factors into John Palme's question that we'll see later here too. Of, mm-hmm. Does the return of Antoine move Patterson down? Uh, so I guess we can talk about kind of that there. I love where Longino is right now, and I, I want to see him continue establish minutes. I would have loved to have seen more Trey Patterson. Um, and to kind of you know go into John's point here too about Trey came in, basically had a possession, grabbed a rebound. They came back down on defense, got beat, picked up a foul and got immediately pulled. And for me, like, I think we know that Jay is a big believer in negative reinforcement, where if you do something bad, (laughs) here's a punishment. Um, And that's kind of what you saw there, especially in a game that was under control. I mean, think about it. Colin Gillespie was still in this game with three minutes left as well. Um, Yeah. That's, that's exactly when I wrote it down. I, I would like to see, you know, th- there's no reason in my mind that Patterson and Njoku can't go out there. And I'm sure what he would put it to is they haven't earned the right, you know, in practice and what he's seen in games to be out there. But I think you can also change things up in game situations. When you see the 30 point lead. Yeah. yeah. There was also a Longino instance. I, it completely slipped my mind, but I literally texted Pat and I said, poor Jordan, yeah. because he made a mistake and G- Jay immediately viciously pulled him. And if you're not going to give the guys minutes in these situations, how are they going to learn? I I totally understand. And we are in no position to doubt anything Jay Wright does, especially after this bounce back win, the revenge game against Creighton. But I would have liked to see more. I was genuinely wondering if Patterson was sick because why didn't he play more minutes? Yeah. Uh, I think it's Patterson's the one I look at and Joku, I think is probably the one that's furthest behind the curve 
when it comes to yeah, development yeah, wise. So I'm, I'm fine yeah. with him not getting too many minutes. Patterson's the one where I look at and saying, I, I feel like there could be opportunities to mix him in there. I mean, as we talk about the rotation now, you know, with Antoine back, Longino establishing himself and, and Caleb Daniels coming back, we talk about depth. I'm comfortable with eight. Eight is a sweet spot. Eight is something that Jay has gone to in the past before too and feels comfortable with. So if that's what it turns out. Wait, is that not Arch? Is that not Arch? Arch is in there too. If you're getting my, uh, where I'm going, I'm okay with <laughs> Sorry, Longino. I jumped the gun. I I was, jumped no, the gun. no, no, no. I'm comfortable with Longino getting more minutes than him there and mixing Arch in. Um, so I think that's kind of what factors into it is now with Antoine back, things get a little more. Uh, convoluted but I think it's a good convoluted I was just gonna say the luxury of having flexibility who would have thought that we would have be having this conversation a month ago (laughs) not us that's for sure yeah no I feel the same way it's the question of do you want the stable predictability of what arch can bring or do you want the maybe unpredictable maybe a few more mistakes stakes of what Longino brings that could potentially bring a higher ceiling. And I feel Mm -hmm. the same way that I would like the latter. And just to play devil's advocate when it comes to playing the freshman earlier and keeping Gillespie out on the floor for so long, maybe Jay Wright's thinking, this is not, I, I'm, I'm talking from Jay Wright's perspective. I am not thinking about giving freshmen time to grow right now. I am trying to win this season. Yeah. And what's going to win me these games is playing my fifth year seniors and my guys that I know can go out there and score. And yes, that becomes different when it's a 30 point game with five minutes left, but anything up to that point, it's not about a learning curve for Jordan Longino. He -hmm. needs Jordan to go out there and play and not make mistakes. Yeah. And if this is, if the ceiling for this team is a final four appearance, you can't afford to make mistakes. So Mm -hmm. I get that point. That being said, game situations this felt like one pretty early on that you could be a little bit more flexible yeah i think game situation wise time to time to put in those freshmen i don't get as hot and heavy over uh patterson getting minutes as i would longino because i see the flashes seemingly every time longino comes out on the floor is why i want him more in the rotation yeah it's disappointing it just doesn't feel like patterson is there yet i feel the same way yep yep all right, cool. I, I mean, we are very happy. I am very happy talking about this game, and it's been a minute since we were very happy talking about it. <laughs> I, say, I, I am as sick as can be, and I am freaking thrilled. So, let's, yeah, <laughs> what yeah. a game. Yeah, so like we said, we wanted to do the brunt of this episode recapping Creighton. We have a few points on DePaul, and then we did get a decent amount of questions, so we'll go through DePaul really quickly. Yeah. If anybody watched the game before Villanova started, oh my gosh, I texted Pat and said, truly, if Villanova played that way, I think I would have a heart problem. I don't know how I could sit and watch that game, and I mentioned the word shambly, and then I thought maybe that means it was too negative of a connotation. Sometimes it is, but that high tempo is just so polar opposite from the way Villanova plays. It shocks me every single time I see it. And I'm talking about DePaul and St. John's in this situation. Yeah. I had a blast watching that game. I, I yeah. really did just how they both motored up and down the floor and, and Julian Champagne. I know we're not talking about uh, St. John's here, but man, Champagne so fun to watch and it's going to be an NBA pro. Um, but, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But, but looking at DePaul, they do have some players here. I know we had talked about, you know, before 
what really is DePaul? And of course they had a nice non-conference run. They played some competitive games. They pulled off some good wins. I mean, we've referenced Javon Freeman, Liberty, a ton man's a straight score. You know, I believe he's averaging 20 points mm-hmm. a game. David Jones, a really good He was good tied with player. Champagny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. He no, was no, no. Champagne for the leading scorer going into this game. Yep. D- David Jones, a really good young player now in his second year that continues to progress. And, and Nick Ungenda, you know, we talk about big men. He's a talented uh, forward that, that has the potential to give Villanova some trouble here. Listen, for, from what we've seen with DePaul, they've certainly come back down to earth since entering Big East play with starting off 0-3 and getting whacked by Providence uh, and losing a butler. <laughs> as well so Villanova especially you know you would assume can handle things pretty pretty easily but I do want to also put the disclaimer that this is a better DePaul team than we're used to seeing oh 100 percent. yeah there's there's a little bit of talent there I don't even know where to start I think the one thing you cannot do in the Big East this year is assume Mm -hmm. because if you had assumed that Providence would play Marquette and look good you were sorely mistaken this week. They sure. lost by 30 points. I was honestly shocked Marquette. by that. Oh my God. I thought it was a typo when I saw it. What an absurd number. I feel the same way. I think Villanova is more talented than DePaul, but they are gritty. They are scrappy. They'll do anything to get it done. Similar to St. John's, they're just a thorn in your side the entire game. And I wrote this quote down from Jim Jackson, who was doing, who was the analyst for that game, because I thought it was so excellent. He said, when DePaul gets stops, they get to create the shots they want. Mm-hmm. DePaul is one of the best teams in the country in transition. They have the 42nd ranked to run. Ten- tempo, according to Kempom. That was before the game. Honestly, probably went up after the St. John game. They love to run. They love to keep defenses on their toes. When defenses are set, that's when DePaul starts to make mistakes. So they are going to be all up in Villanova's grill, trying to force as many mistakes as possible. That's why I give Villanova the advantage because they are not easy to force mistakes upon. But I am so excited just to watch the pace of this game. I think Villanova controls it. But you're right. DePaul has talent for the first time in a while. And they've had flashes. They had Paul Reed and Charlie Moore. And Max Struess was on DePaul too, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, he's a big shooter now in the NBA. So it's a different version of them because now they might actually make a run. Yeah. Yeah, and we've talked about it this season. Teams that like to run can make Villanova uncomfortable. So it is something to watch there uh, where where teams that love to try to get in transition – you know, have found ways to exploit Villanova at times, but I think tonight gives you some some pretty promising, uh, you know, way to move forward to assume that Villanova can handle that. And then again, going into the preview on the Villanova side, just quickly, the Ken Palm's already updated tonight. Villanova's up to number six in their rankings. So really, you know, analytically, it's a big jump. It, they went from thirteen to six after that game. Yeah, uh, and that's total rankings. So uh, Ken Palm feels good about this Nova squad. Oh, that defense jumped 10 points. Yeah, it's a big 28 to 18. Yeah, yeah. See, yes. see big refresh there. I just refreshed it too. <laughs> big refresh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they deserve it. I think the the defense they showed against Creighton and Slater is gonna draw a big defensive assignment, probably against Liberty. And like you said, there are a lot of other scoring options. Brandon Jones, even are uh, Brandon Johnson and David Jones, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um they have more options than usual. So it is in no way a joke like it has been in the past. I am so happy you were on this episode because if I had to 
preview DePaul without you, I would be so sad because <laughs> we know that you've been wanting them to show their true version of I themselves have. for years. And this is finally their year. They're still undefeated in Big East play. But who knows? Who knows about DePaul? Yeah, yeah, I I do not think they will be picking up their first Big East win this weekend. But uh, against you know, Nova, it, imagine no go or God, I hope not because I don't want to do that podcast <laughs> on Tuesday if that happens. But um, it'll be a fun game. It's it's yeah. obviously a different era there. Yeah, I feel the same way. Tony Stubblefield's awesome. Yeah. Um, let's go to questions. Should yeah, we close out here? Yeah, let's close with some questions before my voice completely gives out. Um, so Yeah, give it up for Pat. <laughs> Sticking it out right Thank now. Thank you. I'm trying. But we kind of talked about this a little bit, but this is from T-God. Uh, do you believe Antoine is the true second guy off the bench now? Does that make Arch uh, kind of lose some of that rotation spot as the season goes on? Yeah, I, de- I definitely think it. it's Caleb. Antoine, um, I think until further notice, mm-hmm. at least for a few more games, it'll be Arch and, and Longino close. And then I do still believe that Cosby Roundtree can be the X factor. Ooh, interesting. I that so I do believe that Antoine is the second guy. I think Caleb's going to be your first one off the. Well, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. I could see Antoine being the first guy off the bench, but that's more defensively. You know, Caleb is mm. going to be your go-to scorer. Uh, to be able to come off the bench. I do think Arch has an opportunity to lose some minutes here um, as Longino continues to progress, as I talked about. And then I I don't factor Demir into the rotation. I'm, I'm not sure we're going to see him too really? much this season. Yeah, I huh. I just, I, I, I think the whole situation is still strange and how little information we know about it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I don't really count on him as a part of it. If he comes in, you know, plays two, three minutes, great. But I, I think we're going to see a lot of DNPs from him. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I meant contributions less from a stat perspective and more from a pure minutes standpoint mm-hmm. and how often we see him. But I'm also hesitant to say that just because Longino played 20 minutes on Wednesday night means that he's going to come off the bench before Arch. Yes. I don't think Jay is going to stray too far from his gut <laughs> so quickly. That's, that's fair. So we'll see where the progression goes. Uh, Trish yeah. coming in, not with the question, but I love it. She said, this is my favorite game of the season so far. I mean, it might be mine too, honestly. So I agree, Trish. Yeah, I feel the same way. This uh, was fun. I love it. We kind of hit John Palme's question a little earlier. You mentioned it with a full 40 coming with Chris. How about that depth? Love it. Love it. Uh, absolutely. Love I, it. I feel like we said everything we needed to say. I, this team looks different. And even though they're not scoring points, we're still happy about the bench depth. And that says a lot about how the starters have progressed. And it says a lot about how the bench is coming along. Mm-hmm. Nope, de- definitely. Question coming in from friend of the show as well, Brandon Riley. How many more games until Nova shoots over 35% from three? And it's an interesting point because we've kind of discussed in our last couple shows that the three-point shooting certainly hasn't been consistent um no. you know, to, to say the least and Villanova really has changed up the attack going more to the basket which I think is great though of course you know Villanova's roots will always be in the three I, I did some a quick look and I don't believe Villanova has shot over 35 percent from three since the St. Joe's game where they shot 52 percent wow so, yeah it, it's been a little <laughs> while now do we just break out and say DePaul is the game where they shoot over 35 or you think this, the more of the, you know, inconsistent three point shooting, but two point attack continues. I kind of feel like it's the latter. I mean, it's not like Creighton 
it's not like we talked about how good Creighton's three-point defense was against Villanova. No, we haven't done that too often in general. It's just that Villanova shooting been off. The thing that's crazy to me, I don't really care. Because if they're finding ways to score the way they've done the last two games, I don't care what that shooting percentage looks like. Mm. Yeah, I think it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy because offensively, even with the three point shot not going, I think they've looked really good because the ball movement's been so solid. The cutting has been much better. You know, the we're seeing more of the kickouts again and they're attacking the basket. So I'm, I'm okay with it. Of course, we want to see some more three-point shooting. I'd like to see a little more consistent three-point shooting. I think DePaul's a chance. If we have to pick a game, I believe they're – I just had it up. 201st in the country in three-point defense. So it's an opportunity <laughs> to shoot like over that, there. Pat. I know I had to. I went straight to the number. Um, but, you know, so there's a We'll shot. say, too, I would like more to hit a couple shots. I would also like one of Chris Archidiakono's threes to go just in one. at some point. Point in his career, just I one. I, and I also, about that too. I tweeted about it, Brian Antoine, too. I am just blown away by how well he's been shooting the ball, even though it hasn't gone in. When those threes start to go in, we're going to start to feel even better. So, I do think they have the capability. If Brian Antoine hits two as opposed to one, if Arch hits one as opposed to zero, it's incremental change, but it'll make those numbers look much better. No, I think that's fair. And as you say, Antoine, yeah. at least he shoots confidently when that ball goes That's up. what I mean. Yeah, it's it's catch and shoot. It's nothing we've seen before, and I love it. And that, that's what you need because you can't say, oh, Justin, you're averaging three threes a night. Go hit six instead. Mm-hmm. Colin, go hit, go hit seven threes a night. That's not feasible. But maybe Slater starts to shoot more from the beyond the arc, et cetera. And then you just get more guys putting their hands there. Yeah, definitely fair. And for Arch, he hasn't hit a three since the St. Joe's game. So it'd be nice. To it's see brutal. One. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to it's see brutal. one go down. And we have one yeah. more question. Another one of our good friends here, Jerry Quinn, giving us two questions here. We built a lead without Colin tonight. Are we finding our groove when Colin is not on the floor? We kind of talked about that a little bit before. Yeah, 100% yes. Justin Moore is taking the game by the scruffs, like Pat said at the beginning, and realizing that he can be a leader on this team. And Samuel's already fits seamlessly into that role and the past two games we've been forced to watch it because Colin has had foul trouble and I think they've looked perfectly fine without him mm-hmm. and then second question from him kind of going to Eric Dixon will and just looking at him totally will Eric Dixon's improvement determine how well we play in the Big East and NCAA come March yeah, you take that one. I love this question. I, I like it too because I have to say as the season goes on I get more and more impressed with Eric. I still think that there are things that need to be worked out. I would like to see a little more quickness to his game. And when I say that, I don't mean like physical quickness. I mean, decisiveness where it feels like he can just kind of be loitering on the ball a little bit too much down in the post, but he does so many things really well. We're seeing the rebounding continue to work out. He stepped out and hit another three today. Uh, He's been a pretty consistent foul shooter as well. Eric does so much for this team and he's so important because he is so different and such a different mold than the rest of these guys on here that I'm not sure I would call him, you know, the determining reason for how far Villanova goes. I really, I think that's of course, Colin's going to be there. And I, I, Justin Moore is going to be a guy to be able to step up as that scoring option, but what Eric's done so far this season and how he's continued to grow into a, a strong starter, I think we can say, is is very important to how this team operates. You know what's crazy too? I take that as a compliment almost 
that his improvement doesn't determine how well Villanova will play. Because mm-hmm. I agree with you. Think about how much we were talking and thinking and worrying about Eric Dixon. Yeah, we put a lot on his shoulders coming into the year. Right. And he's handled it. And even more than handle it, he's exceeded expectations to the point where we haven't talked to him about him a lot in the last two episodes. And that's a good thing. He's just out there doing his thing. Of course, he has things to improve upon, but he has become a stalwart of this offense and defense. He can handle the seven foot Ryan Kalkbrenner. I just, I feel the same way. I continue to be so impressed with him. Yes. He might not be the X factor of Villanova, but when he's out, he, when he's not on the court, I think Villanova lacks that really physical defensive post presence that he brings when he is on the floor. He may not be the X factor, but he has turned into a really good player. And you know what? Yep. Th- this early on still with him being a, a starter and a relied upon player. I think that's all you can ask for and more than you feel can the same way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just so many compliments. So many compliments. Yeah. We're feeling good from this episode. This was, this is a very yeah. happy one. Yeah. Once again, Pat, thank you so much for toughing it out. You need to go just immediately to sleep after this game and drink some tea. I, I say I drank some tea beforehand to try to loosen up the throat. I am going to chug some NyQuil as soon as we get off this. So that's <laughs> can't, can't wait for that. Um, but, and then thank you as well for taking, of course, the earlier episode in the week and doing it solo. And thank you to all our listeners for going through the, the ups and downs of our break, uh, us being split up and then you having to deal with my voice for this one. <laughs> yeah. We've got the team thing down, but this was a really fun game to talk about. Hopefully all the Nova fans out there can breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief. They're getting back on track. They've got a couple games where hopefully the stress won't be too high. And again, like I, like I let off at the beginning, they needed this type of game and we got it. And we should be very, very happy about that. It's a good night, Nova Nation. It's a great day to be a Wildcat after a win yep. like that. So I think that's how we do it. But all right, that will do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out the website for your recap of the Creighton game, and we'll have some more content looking at DePaul as we inch closer to that one as well. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. We will be back at it next week on Tuesday. Everyone, enjoy this win. Get ready for a DePaul game on Saturday. Stay safe, stay healthy, and Nova Nation, that's a wrap.